Sundays over the summer where people walked in the back doors and didn't see a seat. I'm sure there were a few up here, right, fellas? Like there were seats in front of you. But they didn't want to come down all this way. And so they turned around and walked back out. And that's just unacceptable. Uh, because what, what, how selfish would it be of us to, like, find something that we're connected to that we love that we're so excited about that God is doing and then not want anyone else to be a part of it, right? So we will continually be reaching out to your friends, your neighbors, your people that you love and come in contact with in the city. And uh, the, the prime time areas where people tend to want to come to church for the first time are going to be at 10 and 11.30. So if you are someone who is just like a, I'm here, this is my church, I'm all in, I wake up early, Come at 8.30, uh, because there, I promise there will be a few more seats at 8.30 than the other services. But as you've seen, we got a little overflow slash, um, you know, parents with infants room out there with a little video happening, so we'll be ready for some overflow uh, too. Also, on that card, it says, please tell us when you're going to serve. So please tell us when you're going to serve. We have people that faithfully serve. I mean, this is a volunteer community. We do, uh, so many of you serve in so many ways, but there are still some of you that need to get plugged in. And you don't have to serve every week. You're not checking the box saying, I'm serving for the rest of my life or every week. You're just saying, I'm willing to jump in. It might just be once a month. It might be twice a month. Some of you are hardcore and you're every week, and, and we love that. But you don't have to be. So it's, it's accessible. We want you in. We want you to do that. And like Jarrah said, this will be an exciting fall, and I will tell you more about that next week. We are continuing in this series, if you want to whip out the outline that's in there also, on the Bible, kind of moving through the big stories of the Bible. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the life of Jesus. So hopefully you've been here and you've seen just the, the unbelievable uh, life unbelievable teachings, unbelievable miracles, unbelievable sacrifice that Jesus made when he walked this earth. Last week, I talked about him on the cross and that ultimate sacrifice and how it changed everything. And this week, we're talking about the resurrection. Now, if you are new to church or you are just kind of here checking things out and not really sure what you believe or where you stand, the resurrection is a big word and it seems kind of weird, don't worry. Uh, My personal uh, concern is that I fear that in our culture in America or where, where Christianity is kind of known and understood, that we begin to put the resurrection in its Easter place. And so we only really understand the resurrection in terms of Easter Sunday, which we also associate with bunnies and eggs and brunch and our Sunday best clothes and things like that. And we've forgotten, I fear, that the resurrection is for today. And the resurrection is for you. And maybe if you're not even sure what it is, it's for you. And maybe if you think that you understand what it is and, you, under, and you, made a, you made a deal with this God a long time ago, the resurrection is still relevant and important and critical for you today. And I want to talk to you about how God wired this universe, this world, the, the world around you that you see with little hints of resurrection all over the place. But first, like we do when you're talking about some kind of big, grandiose thing in terms of God's story, we're going to start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is the very beginning of the Bible. If, you, if you've never read the Bible before, uh, it's easy because you just turn to the front, you know, and you just go past the, the table of contents and you're there. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
In the beginning, God created two distinct things that were uniquely bonded, the heavens and the earth. He created them different and yet connected. The Bible also says that his spirit hovered over all things that he had created, that his spirit was present in creation, that there was this interesting dynamic and relationship between God and spirit and heaven with created earth and soil and dirt and land and water. They were distinct and yet connected. When God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, what's the thing that he asked them to do? Care for it. He said, I want you to care for this creation. I want you to manage it. Be a steward of this. Take care of it. And still we see that. I mean, that's still real for us today. We, we work and we take care of and we take care of our land and we care about environmental issues because this is the world that God gave us to steward. And so it's still real. But we can see very clearly that this earth, this world that we live in is not the utopian garden of Eden that it once was. Something happened, and, and that something was that we as humans, Adam and Eve, just like, just like us, chose to rebel against God and question, like, God, really? Is this, you're the, you want to have say over our life? Maybe your way isn't better. Maybe I can do things better on my own. And some of you know what it's like to live life thinking maybe you can live it better on your own and not pay attention to God. And so we see brokenness and tragedy and, and horrific behavior and darkness and pain as a result of that. And look at Genesis chapter 3. Because of all that, because we mess things up with sin, God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit, because you rebelled against me and did what I commanded you not to do and said you don't eat from this, cursed is the ground because of you. And in that curse and in our decision to rebel, there was a, there was a separation, there was a break, there was a tear in the universe, if you will. And that's, that connection between spirit and soil, that connection between heaven and earth was severed. And our connection between our creator and us was broken because of our sin, because of that darkness. The way that they used to, just Adam and Eve, just walk in the garden and talk with God and you know, catch up on things and probably play catch. I don't know. I mean, just whatever you think of in like this perfect relationship thing, they had that. And then it was broken. And so we've been living in this kind of state where the earth is cursed and we're living in this curse. And some of you know what it's like to feel like your world, your life is cursed. You know something about that. And here's the other thing that you notice is that on this earth, everything dies. Everything dies. Plants, trees, animals, humans, you and me, everything dies. As a result of our rebellion and breaking that connection that God originally intended, we will die. And you know what it's like to lose loved ones and to feel that sting. And there's something unnatural about that sting. There's something in you that says, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't the way that God designed it. And when you struggle and you fail, you follow an addiction or you have a divorce or you see these different broken things or a fight breaks out in front of you, or there's war, and there's pain, and there's damage, and there's hurt. There's something in you that says, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This can't be what God intended. Everything is dying around me, but there's good news. Everything dies, but that's not the end of the story. Everything dies, but that's not the end of the story. There, 
there are hints and glimpses of something that God wove into the fabric of the universe, something that whispers of a greater power than the curse of the earth. There's something that draws you and that says there's more than this. You're not just ultimately screwed. There's hope. There's something else. There's more. We see it in a simple acorn. This acorn had to die and fall off of its tree before it could be planted in the ground. And you know what the acorn produces? More trees. Yeah, uh, oak trees and, and a, a, even a forest. A, an acorn can produce more than even just a single tree. There are these little hints of newness of life that can sprout from death. God hardwired it into the world around us. Do you notice? Can you see? Or how about this? What is, what is this a picture of? It's a cocoon. So there's a caterpillar, which I think are like kind of cute and like little fuzzy. It's been a while. I don't know. You know, I think they're a little bit fuzzy on the back. And, and they kind of crawl around and then they go into one of these cocoons and then they come out a butterfly, right? They come out pretty and with wings and they, and they fly around and they do butterfly stuff. I don't really know if, you know, what kind of purpose they serve in terms of the furthering of life. And what they look nice, you know, at least they're there for aesthetics. And so there's this, another little hint, a glimpse of, of, newness of life, of, of something beautiful coming from something maybe less than or, or from, from something hopeful coming from something devastating, something that's possible coming from something that's painful. And God has given us glimpses like that all through life, that there is something more, that there is something beyond the sting of death, that there is something beyond my brokenness that gives me hope, that there is something beyond this, this season that I feel stuck. There's something beyond this addiction, that, that maybe there's, there's something else. And we see it in each other's stories too, right? You've, you've seen people whose lives have transformed. Some of you have lived through a, a total transformation of life. I once lived with this way, and I came to the end of myself. I realized there was nothing for me down that road, and now there's this newness of life. And I'm not perfect by any means, but I go in this direction with a renewed sense that God has a plan and, and new life for me. My grandfather, who passed away about 10 years ago, used to say, I may not be who God designed me to be, but praise Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. And we see signs, we see glimpses of new life, of possibility, that we don't have to be the old thing that we were. And today, even as we get going here, I wanted to introduce you to three people that you may know that are going to share just a little bit of their own story, a little bit of their own journey, and what it looks like to live and to think about things in one way and to have this new experience of life. Will you please welcome Erica, Jeanette, and Stacy? I was raised in a Christ-centered home, and I struggled with my image throughout most of my childhood. At 12 years old, my family unit was broken up, and those battles with my image multiplied. I fought extreme insecurity, inadequacy, unworthiness, and self-hatred. Those feelings led, to, led me to a reckless lifestyle, 
of drugs, alcohol, and some very unhealthy relationships. Many years later, after I became tired of trying to live life the Erica way, I realized the key to true joy in my life was surrender. I came back to the Lord, and what struck me so deeply was how I was not alone in my pain. I witnessed how others were able to walk through their pain with Jesus and experience an amazing, amazing freedom that only Christ can give. That type of freedom is what he gave me. A new chapter in my story was just beginning. I saw so many girls and women in need of this great unconditional love. If these women could come to a place of recognizing how beautiful they were to Jesus, slowly thoughts would be transformed into this amazing picture of his love for us. Almost two years ago now, while I was working out, God gave me a picture of myself and another person leading a group of women in exercise and a Bible study. Stacy and I both have a background in fitness. I had her name on my heart, prayed about sharing the dream with her, and in the meantime went to a church conference, and at that time the Lord confirmed in my heart that I should connect with her. And I'll let Stacy take it from here. Like Erica, I too have dealt with insecurity all my life, along with a great deal of anxiety and depression, with feelings of unworthiness and self-hatred. I still have to depend on my Savior to deliver me. As Erica approached me about her vision, my heart skipped a beat as I confess that I've had that dream for the last five years. I had wanted to start this ministry, but was too afraid on my own. After we spoke, we began to pray and meet together weekly to see where God was leading us. We wrote a curriculum built on the areas that we struggle with, as we know that most women do, such as self-image and insecurity, and also a variety of topics to strengthen our walk, such as faith and persistence. We spoke with the frontline team at Mariners, which was a great source of encouragement and support of our dream. We launched our ministry as part of Mariner's Church last January, and our hearts were filled with extreme joy and excitement to see God unfold the next step in our journey. The vision was to incorporate mental, spiritual, and physical fitness by having a time to exercise together, followed by discussion, meditation on God's truth, and prayer. Our desire is for all women to step into God's image and see themselves as God sees them. We teach ourselves and the participants to believe God's truth because he says we're forgiven, bold, set free, accepted, loved, beautiful, confident, holy, and victorious. We asked one of our participants from the last session to speak how stepping into his image has impacted her life. This is beautiful Jeanette Andrews. So my story starts um, when I was in the womb. The FBI came to my mom and said that my dad was leading a double life. Um, And when I was a year and a half old, he went to prison. Um, So because of my abandonment issues, I found myself feeling less than worthless and unlovable all of my life. By the grace of God and through the love of family, I came to know Christ and the love he has for me. To this day, I struggle with my abandonment issues. One of my ways of coping is by turning to food for comfort and fulfillment. My sin of gluttony was revealed to me, 
and I was devastated to think about giving up my comfort and love that I felt with food. I have heard God ask me many times to trust him with this part of my life and allow him to fill the broken places of my heart. And until stepping into his image, I didn't realize the importance of choosing God over my need and the fulfillment I get from eating. Going through Sihai, God affirmed his great love for me as I experienced a community of women who came alongside me to love, support, discuss, and pray each week. One of the week's topics was faith. This was the most powerful for me um, as we discussed Joshua and his battle against the Amorites. Uh, He had faith that God would see him through, such great faith that he asked God to make the sun stand still, and God did just that. So if God is the same then as he is today, then why can't I believe him in his faithfulness and give him my sin of gluttony, trusting that he will comfort, love, and never abandon me? Being a part of Sihai was the first step into complete surrender, and I'm happy to say that um, although I struggle with my sin and face it every day, many times a day, I have faith that God will continue to love, redeem, and restore me as I step into his image. Did you hear it? Can you see the glimpses of newness of life? That what he began, he's going to complete one day, but there is newness. There is is beauty coming from brokenness. There is is hope coming from loss. There is potential coming from pain. And you see that in each of their eyes and in their words and in their stories. And I know many of you are experiencing it yourselves. Now, when Jesus, before he went to the cross, before he went and came out of the tomb in this resurrected state that we are talking about, he walked this earth. And when Jesus walked this earth, people wanted him to do a lot of miracles. They they wanted him to do things for them. They they wanted him to to give them bread, right, because he fed 5,000 people, so people continued to follow him, thinking maybe we'll get some We'll get some bread and, and, and some steak and some, you know, out of this whole deal. This is not a bad thing. And so then people wanted to, well, you know, I, I can't see very well. And so they wanted him to heal them of their sight or they were, they were sick and they wanted him to heal them of their sickness or whatever it was. He was a popular guy. And everywhere he went, crowds gathered trying to get something from him. And sometimes they just got addicted to the stuff. They just wanted to see the miracles. And they they were missing out on the newness of life that he was trying to show and bring. And when one of these crowds is gathered around him, he says uh, in Luke 11, As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Interesting. So they're asking for these miracles, and he says, I've done so many miracles already that I'm, I'm done for now. I'm just going to do one more. And that miracle, that sign, will remind you of a story, a story of a guy who God called named Jonah. And God said to Jonah, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to speak to these people. I want you to bring my hope and my plans and my purposes And to tell this group of people that I love them and I want relationship with them and I want them to understand that I am God. And Jonah was like, thanks, I'm good. I'm scared of those people. And so he gets on a boat and he goes in the opposite direction, but there's this huge storm and everyone on the boat is afraid for their lives. And so Jonah's like, um, shoot, I think it's my bad. And so he's like, I I don't think this storm is going to go away. So 
how about if I just jump over? And they're like, what, are you crazy? And he's like, maybe, but at least if I'm crazy, you know, then you'll live. And if not, then it's just me who dies anyway. So he jumps off and is in the water. And the story goes that a big fish, how big a fish? A pretty big fish swallows this man, Jonah. And Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days. And then after three days, the fish decides that, you know, there's indigestion or there's something that's not agreeing with his system. And he spits Jonah up whole onto the shore. And Jesus says, I'm only going to show you one more miracle. And it's the miracle of Jonah. You see, I don't have a problem believing in a crazy far-fetched story like Jonah and being swallowed by a big fish because I already believe in the resurrection anyway. If you believe in a resurrected God who came to earth in skin, I mean, what, tell me whatever kind of story that God did. I'm good with it, you know, at that point. And so Jesus says, I've done these miracles. I'm only going to do one more. It's interesting that in the Gospel of John, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the, those are the Gospels, the writers that, that saw with their own eyes this life of Jesus, and then they wrote it down for us. John's Gospel is a little bit unique. He tells some different stories. And in his Gospel, he tells seven stories about signs, kind of big, crazy miracles that Jesus did. And then the eighth one is the resurrection. And people who have studied the Bible for centuries believe that John was doing that intentionally, saying that what Jesus did in those seven miracles, seven is the number of completion. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything in the earth, and he did it in six days, and on the seventh day he rest, because seven is about completeness. And so John is hinting here, and he's saying, in these seven miraculous signs and miracles, Jesus is bringing completeness to this creation, and then he's starting a new creation with his resurrection. And so the resurrection is not just simply about something that happened 2,000 years ago between a guy in a tomb, but it's still happening. There is new creation happening all around us still. Stay with me here. When Mary heard or saw that Jesus was crucified and found the tomb where he had been laid, she went to him after three days because she wanted to just put you know, oils and incense and I don't know whatever else, but to try to maintain the body. She was going to care for this dead body, and she shows up, and there's no body. Mary, who had spent you know, so much time and just knows, and you got Mary, and you got Mary, the mother of Jesus, and you got these disciples, and they all are baffled that, that there's no body in the tomb. And so this is what Mary says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, but I doubt she knew that they were angels. They were seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the head and one on the foot, and they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she says, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, probably hearing some commotion behind her, hearing some shuffling of feet or something, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And then he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Now look at this next words. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. It's interesting to me that when Jesus comes back to life from the dead and Mary sees him, 
and he's first seen by humans. He looks like a gardener. Making all things new. Bringing about a new creation. Maybe doing the very thing that he asked Adam to do in the garden originally to care for creation. He looks like a gardener to her. The kind of gardener that cultivates new life. The kind of gardener that manages what he creates. The kind of gardener that brings forth new things. And then get this. Verse 16. She still doesn't recognize him. And then he says, Mary. And immediately she knows it's Jesus. What if the risen God of the universe, the creator of all things, and the one who came and died on a cross and was raised from the dead, still having his scars, looking like a gardener, restoring all things created and restoring that bond between spirit and soil and earth and God and heaven and us, what if he called your name? What if that God said your name? What if that resurrected Jesus called you and said, this isn't, just, this isn't just about my resurrection. Are you in? Do you want a part of this? Peter, briefly, knew something about that because when Jesus was being led to that cross, Peter denied Jesus three times. 12-year-old girl, remember? 12-year-old girl calls him out and he's like, uh, I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy, I promise. Denies his God three times. And then after Jesus raises, he tells, he tells Mary, he tells the disciples, go get the disciples and Peter. He says, go get the disciples and Peter, I think because Peter has separated himself from the disciples out of his own shame. How could I deny the God of the universe while he's suffering and dying for me? And so after Jesus raised from the dead, he goes out to find Peter. And Peter had gone back to what he knew, which was fishing, and he's on a boat. And Jesus stands at the shore and he says, hey, try, uh, you guys caught any fish? And they're like, oh, we got nothing. Try throwing your net on the other side. Oh, you mean like 10 feet over there? There's going to be a whole lot of fish? But they do it anyway, and the nets are just full of fish, and immediately Peter realizes Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat, and he can't, he's not a strong swimmer. You know? I mean, he's just, he's just flapping his way toward the shore. And he gets there, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? He asks him three times, do you love me? And in doing that, he brings Peter back in to a newness of life. And now Peter gets it. Now I understand that you paid for all of our brokenness and that you rose again to give us newness of life. And you are bringing me back in. You want me still to participate with you in this? Peter is remade. He's reborn in a sense. And he goes on to lead the church, right? 
Jesus inspires all his followers and all his disciples, and he tells them, hey, this is what I've been about. This is why I died. This is now I raised from the dead. Now I'm going to go into heaven. I'm going to send my spirit behind me, and he's going to give you the strength and the power to do what I'm calling you to do. This is the resurrection. When I started way back in the beginning with creation, I am making all things new. We're bringing this back together. Now you can be connected to God again. The spirit and the soil, you humans and God can be united. And then he went back up into heaven. And then we see a glimpse of this promise to come again in Revelation chapter 21. You're not going to read it. Just listen to this. Then I saw, this is the apostle John talking, a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And in Revelation 21, verse 5, he says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The day is coming when Jesus will return and all things will be as he intended. Now, in the meantime, the resurrection is still playing out. Newness of life is still coming to the surface. Brokenness is still being healed. Marriages are still being restored. Addictions are still being overcome. People people that have had sobriety for a few weeks or a month, that's a hint of resurrection. It's happening. It's popping up all around. You can see it in little glimpses in different ways. The resurrection is still playing out out in you, in us, and people around us. It's, it's what God is still doing. And you might say, yeah, 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 I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I believe in that. I feel like I've heard something like that before, but I'm going through a hard time. I just lost my job. Like, where's the resurrection in this? In this? I don't have this spouse anymore. I don't have a house anymore, a job anymore. This whatever I'm going through, it's still dark. It's still difficult. I have a friend named Oz, and he told me a few years ago that he and this other friend of his, he's in London, his friend's in New York, and they meet in one of the two places every year. And they meet once a year, and they meet at some pub, and they sit down, and as soon as they sit down together, they look at each other, and regardless of what's going on in their worlds, they're both influential in different spheres. They always look at each other, and the first thing they ask is, is the revolution still on? Is the revolution still on? Are you still in? Regardless of the calamities, regardless of the cancers, regardless of the loss, regardless of the bad decisions, is the revolution still on? And our question this morning is, is the resurrection still on? Do you still believe Are you still participating with him as he's in the process of making all things new? Are you still engaged with him on this journey as he is is reprioritizing your life, as he is teaching you new things, as he is bringing you in from old patterns into new patterns, as he is mending marriages, as he is bringing hope, as he is bringing beauty from brokenness? Is Is the resurrection still on? Are you participating in it? Do you see it? 
Are you desperate for it? In Ephesians chapter 1, this is my prayer for us, for me, for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Get this. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. Did you know that the same strength and power that raised Jesus from the dead, that is the resurrection that he'd been hinting about in creation, that people had been desperate for throughout all of humanity, that he did after he died on a cross and came out of a grave. Did you know that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you? And is it work in you? And is the strength and power that can restore broken relationships. It's the strength and power that can beat addictions. It's the strength and power that can make you from this person into this person. It's the hope and potential of what could be. That you are not perfect and things are not perfect, but God is still telling his story. That there is a coming day when everything will be made new and there's no more sting of death and there's no more brokenness and bondage. And that day is coming and in the meantime, resurrection is at hand. The resurrection is still on. Jesus is still whispering your name. Are you listening? Are you in? Are you still engaged? Are you participating with him as he is making all things new in you, through you, around you, in this city, in this culture, in this country, in this place? It is our privilege and journey to be people who participate with him in the redemptive work that he has been doing for 2,000 years and he's still doing right now, making everything new. You believe me? Yes. And so he speaks still, and he whispers your name. And whether you are needing an, uh, the belief, the, the confidence in a resurrection for the first time, and you know this is my old life, I live for myself, and that doesn't work, or you, you made some kind of an agreement with God a long time ago, and yet there is still death and still darkness and still struggle in your life, and you're desperate for a resurrection today, he's here Will you meet with him? Will you recommit? Will you say, I'm in? The resurrection is still on. I want this newness of life. God, I pray that you would continue to speak. I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would restore. I pray that you would bring new life. I pray that you would resurrect marriages in Jesus' name. I pray that you would resurrect image, insecurity. I pray that you would bring forth life this morning in Jesus' name. And I pray that we would know the hope that we have in you and that we would celebrate that in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand together.